Hey, it's Mike here from Music Radio Creative. Just before we get into this episode, I wanted to let you know about a free exclusive audio download for you as a podcast listener. If you'd like to claim it, head over now to mrc.fm forward slash play. That's P-L-A-Y, mrc.fm forward slash play and enjoy the episode. Want the exact Adobe Audition multi-track template we use to produce audio at Music Radio Creative? Get it at mrc.fm slash presets. Hi, I'm Mike Russell from Music Radio Creative. Welcome to the Adobe Audition podcast, where I'm interviewing power users of Adobe Audition. We'll reminisce back to Cool Edit Pro and take you right up to date with Adobe Audition CC. If you'd like to learn about audio production, everything from vocal effects to radio imaging, commercial production to music mixing, join my next audio production course at mrc.fm slash learn. That's mrc.fm slash l-e-a-r-n learn. Master Adobe Audition. Training, workshops, one-on-one coaching, courses. Head to mrc.fm slash learn. My guest today is Cliff Ravenscraft, a business and life coach. Cliff mentors, coaches, consultants, and thought leaders through the transition from their unfulfilling day job to their own responsible and profitable online business so that they can live the life of their dreams and do the work that they feel most called to do in this world. On top of that, Cliff has also uh, coached thousands of people around the world how to podcast in particular using Adobe Audition. Cliff, welcome to the show. Mike, thank you so much for having me on. It is an honor. So it, it feels like it's almost a bit of a, a set up question to ask you this, considering I just said that you you have mentored thousands of people in the past to podcast using this specific piece of software. But how yourself are you using Adobe Audition in your role as a business mentor? Well, uh, obviously, I'm still podcasting these days. Uh, I have transitioned away from being a podcast coach and consultant. But as you said, I have been podcasting since December 2005. And I have personally trained over 38,000 people how to podcast in the last 12 years of my life. And all of those people I taught how to podcast using Adobe Audition. So it makes a lot of sense that I'm still using Adobe Audition for my own podcast, The Cliff Ravenscraft Show, which I use to promote my business, to to share content with the world that, that demonstrates the, the type of value that I can bring to them through the products and services that I have. So yeah, I use Adobe Audition in my role as a business mentor today uh, in the production of my own audio podcast. I also facilitate mastermind groups and a lot of one-on-one coaching and mentoring sessions. And I use a service called Zoom. And those Zoom calls are automatically recorded on their end. And if I forget to hit the record button on on my own uh, recorder here in the studio, I'll sometimes will download the audio version that Zoom records, which I think it's an M4A file or something like that. Something that's not as common that everyone would recognize. So what I'll do is I'll take that file from Adobe or from Zoom, 
open it up in Adobe Audition real quick and then just save it out as an MP3 file. That's really cool. So obviously with the the amount of content that you continue to create to today uh, as a, a business mentor and life coach, uh, you are using Adobe Audition for the audio side, but obviously I've seen from your, your vlogs and other stuff that you're putting out online, you're using quite a lot of the Creative Cloud package there. So you've got, you've got Premiere Pro going on, uh, probably some After Effects as well for the motion graphics and bits like that. Um, but your, your primary purpose now is to help people transition, uh, probably sitting in a day job in a cubicle, uh, looking to get outside of that and create something um, online uh, that can allow them to live the life of their dreams. So I'm, I'm curious over all the years that you've been making this transition, Cliff, and um, you've received advice, you've got some fantastic mentors. If you had to give me one piece of life advice that could sum it up, that could say you could say this is something that will really help. What's some of the best sort of life advice that you've received? There's a tie for two different things in my mind. Uh, The first one is understanding that everything that we have as a result in our life, we are today the sum of our decisions and understanding that every decision we make is based upon what we believe to be true. And I think the most valuable piece of advice that I've ever been given is to take time to understand what it is, do, what, what do we actually believe about sales? What do we believe about money? What do we think, what do we believe about relationships and how those ought to be to understand, take time to understand what do we believe and then evaluate how did we come how did we come around to believing those things because a lot of people have a lot of different beliefs about money a lot of people have a lot of different beliefs about faith and god and every other area of life not everybody believes the same thing so the question is not only what do i believe but man how did i come to actually adopt that belief and more importantly to take time after you've evaluated that say hey is it possible that I need to change that belief to achieve the the desired outcome that I want in life? So that's, that's the first piece of advice. So the second one is uh, I actually discovered that it is possible to learn how to control your own emotional state. So how you respond to any given stimuli or circumstance in life. And I used to remember this whole scripture of be joyful always and all good on all things give thanks. And I, I remember thinking that is like, but there are sometimes I just don't want to be thankful, but I've actually learned how to be in control of my own emotional state. And that is radically th- those two things, understanding what my beliefs are, how I came to believe them and understand that I can actually change those beliefs. And also the fact that I have full control over my emotional state at any given moment in time. Those two things have radically altered my life. So, yeah, uh, I like that. Understanding what you believe and and how you came to believe that. So how can you, uh, can you go a little bit deeper into that? How can you go about changing that? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of this. So, Mike, as a coach and consultant years ago, I was working with people one-on-one and I remember at the time I was charging $150 an hour, which by the way, I believed was a lot of money at the time. And I, I kind of felt a little weird because, you know, he, I, I lived a lifetime as an employee and, and an hourly rate uh, back in the day working as an employee. You don't make $150 an hour as an employee and not most positions that I had been in my, in my uh, you know, adult life going all the way up to, I guess, my early 30s, right? Uh, 
So here I am charging $150 an hour and I'm doing work that I love. I, I, I kind of feel like I should be paying these people to be on a call with me because I'm actually doing what I most love to do in this world. And it's weird to actually getting money. So I had this belief that number one, you should you you should only get paid for doing things you hate. And the more you hated something, uh, the more you should get paid to do it. And, and here I left a soul-sucking career and I'm doing what I love and I'm getting paid, you know, five, six times as much per hour. That was crazy. And so it took a while to understand that belief system. But here's a, a, a really interesting one. And that is that I used to self-sabotage myself so that so that when somebody hired me, there was this one time somebody hired me for two hours of consulting, plus they bought a big, huge equipment package. Total profit on this one client was $600. And this person had everything all set up perfectly. And a couple of weeks later, actually a couple of months later, I get an email saying, Hey, Cliff, I'm, I'm having some static issue on my JK Audio broadcast host, which is a telephone hybrid device. And I said, well, have you tried uh, contacting support? You know, I told you there was a little bit of static. He goes, no, I can't even hear the person. And I said, well, you know, I'm currently booked up for two weeks, but if you want, I can put you on my list. And he says, absolutely, put me on your list. I, I, as soon as I can talk to you, that'd be great. And, and I emailed him and I said, hey, you know, you could get advice for free from the support over at JK Audio. He goes, if it's okay with you, Cliff, I'd rather work with you. Well, two weeks went by. Finally, it comes time for the call. And uh, he basically is on the call five minutes early. We had a conference call set up. And so I dialed in five minutes before the call starts and we're on the phone together. I get over, I get a studio line. I call him from my cell phone and I hear the static noise. And I'm like, oh, and he's like, what? And I'm like, oh, I know exactly. I said, when you went out of town, he told me he went out of town. And when he came back from being out of town, that's when this started happening. And he thought somebody maybe in the family had, you know, mixed some knobs or something like that. I said, when you went out of town, is there any chance that your electric went out? He said, yeah. Because, you know, when I came back, I had to reset all the clocks. And I sit there, I said, do me a favor. Take your power cord from the back of the unit, unplug it and plug it back in. And he did that and I dialed him up and boom, instantly it worked. And I said, that was it. So literally it's, it's, it was less than five minutes. I solved his problem right now. He's, he's ready to pay me another $150. And he's like, Hey, thanks Cliff. Thanks so much. Send me the invoice. And I'm like, I can't send you an invoice for this. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, there's no way I can send you an invoice. I can't do this in good conscience. And he's like, tell me why. And I say, well, because I, you're paying for an hour of my time. Number one, that's another belief system that I had. I had, had this belief that people were paying me for an hour of my time. I've since changed. I understand people are never paying me for an hour of my time. They're paying for a solution to a problem. I gave him the solution to the problem. But in my mind, I, I believed he was paying me for an hour of my time. I didn't even have, I, it took me less than five minutes. And I felt like this is something I should have asked before because I, as soon as I heard the sound, I knew it because I've heard that before. And it happens every time after there's a power adage, when the power comes on, it surges and causes a crossover inside of the unit. I should have known that. <laughs> and so I, I, the guy begged me to send him an invoice and I told him, no, don't worry about it. 
And then later, about two or three weeks later, I, I read this book that talked about self-sabotage and where that came from. And it says, you need to go back to your earliest times in your memory and say about money. And what is it that you think about money? And, and it was funny because it was the first time I ever went back and said, what's my earliest memory of money? And at the time, I have an earlier memory now, but at that time, I remembered a time when I desperately as, let's just say a, a maybe nine, 10, maybe, no, maybe even 13 years old. At 13 years old, I wanted a moped more than anything. And my mom and dad at the time were, they were struggling financially, right? So my, I, my mom desperately wanted me to have this moped and she decided that any change at the end of the day that her and my dad had, they'd put into this glass jar. And it's like this, this isn't just like your pennies, right? This is like uh, quarters, dimes, nickels. It's got, um, it, it's got half dollars and it even, this is, I'm, I'm from the seventies, right? So it had silver dollars and it had, I mean, this thing was filling up big, huge, heavy jar. Now my mom and dad have no clue that I have this memory because I was in the hall one day and my mom and dad were in the kitchen having a fight about money. And I did not, re I literally went my entire lifetime forgetting that this ever happened until the day I read this book. And it says, why do you think the, what you think about, or why do you believe what you believe about money? And I remembered, I closed my eyes and I could literally hear my mom and dad fighting in the kitchen. And I remember my mom picking up the glass jar and throwing it across the room and hearing it, the glass shatter and the change just going everywhere. And from that point in time, I realized that I had this belief that uh, having anything, any money more than what's necessary to pay the bills and, and, having, and wanting uh, financial wealth or wanting anything like that's unnecessary, such as a moped, wanting things for yourself or receiving money that you didn't work hard for, all these other things, I had this belief that that leads to... Uh, problems. It leads to hurt. It leads to pain. I associated basically receiving money is a painful, hurtful thing. It's like it's hurting other people. And I never realized I believed that until I evaluate it. And then I'm like, wait a second. Now, here I am. I, at the time, I'm probably like in my late 30s and I'm, I'm evaluating this. It's like, okay, now I understand what I believe about money. Uh, or at least some of the things that I believe about money. Now I understand where some of those beliefs just automatically became associated in my mind. And now I ask myself, well, is it really true? And I'm like, no. I, I mean, I, I can see as a little kid I would how I could think those things. But here I've gone my entire life thinking these things without even know why I think them, why I believe them. And so that's example what I'm talking about. And as a result of... Uh, as a result of reading this book, by the way, it was called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. And once I read this book, I will tell you right now, I absolutely love money. I have no problem charging anyone for the, the services that I provide. And it radically has transformed my life in every area. That's amazing. I really like that. Those 
two stories there. The, the the second story, obviously, that moment in your childhood where the shatter. I love that the shattering of the glass jar literally was shattering and, and changing your belief about money at that point. Uh, and then the the previous story you told later on when you you had a, a coaching client, uh, you were coming to terms with the the just the idea of charging uh, for advice uh, that, that seemed to you quite quite simplistic. So it's it's amazing. So throughout your life, Cliff, you've you've overcome a lot of challenges, a lot of fears and beliefs about not only money, but um, but lots of other things as well. Um, you've set up an online business that has obviously in in the past helped to coach thousands, tens of thousands of people to podcast. Um, and, and this year, I know in September, uh, you're organizing your first event. So you're no stranger to challenges. And I, I like your, um, uh, your quote you, you have on your, your wallpaper. I don't need easy. I just need worth it. So tell me uh, more about those challenges and perhaps you could give us an example of a, a really challenging project you've worked on. Well, I'm always working on some new challenge. So you talked about the fact that I left my career in insurance or we briefly covered the fact that I left this career in insurance after 12 years and pursued this business of teaching people how to podcast is how I initially started. And that was the biggest challenge of my life, trying to figure out how do I wrap my mind around business, actually owning a business. I lived a lifetime as an employee. That was a major challenge. Um, then, then it's becoming a public speaker. You know, I've done all this stuff behind a microphone and I can speak into a, to a microphone comfortably after doing it thousands and thousands of times. But I had this desire to become a public speaker for some reason. I wanted to get out there and, and share my message with audiences. And I just was terrified to get up on the stage. I always, I, I was like a miserable train wreck for the first five to 10 minutes every time I stood in front of an audience. Now, the thing is, is five to 10 minutes into any public speaking that I would do, I like completely lost all of that nervousness and I got into a flow. And by the end of the talk, all I could think of is, oh my gosh, when can I speak again? You know, but, but there was so much time in between those that I kind of lost that, that confidence, if you will. And so that was a struggle for me. Uh, and to, by the way, I, I learned how to get rid of that struggle. I realized the reason why I struggled with the first five to 10 minutes of every talk is because the focus was on me. And as soon as I learned that uh, for me to be a successful speaker, I can no longer get on the stage and say to myself, I hope that I impress these people with what I know or with who I am. I hope that I look good. I hope people don't judge me for this or whatever. And as soon as I got out of that and, and decided that every single time I get on stage, it has nothing to do with me. The question is, am I actually going to be able to share a message that's going to benefit their lives? It's all focused on them. And ever since then, I've never been nervous to start a talk. Now, I've still had a little bit of nerves that are lead up to a talk, but I've never got on a stage and like fumbled over the first five to 10 minutes because I was terrified of whether or not I was going to say the right thing or, or do something to impress somebody right out of the gate. So that was a challenge. Uh, and of course, you know, I'm now I'm doing my own live events. Uh, but one of the most challenging projects that I've been working on since 2000, January 2009 is building the physical body of my dreams. So I've been I've been going through a process of this for years. And 
I'm I'm now closer to reaching that goal than I ever have before. But it, it's a challenging process process because it's physically you've got so much going on, but you also have mentally so many things to work on as well. But here's the deal: as soon as soon as I today uh, running my own business, it it's a piece of cake. Today. Uh, getting on a stage, it's it's a no brainer for me. In fact, it's one of the things that I love to do the most, and I, I and I'm actually going to be pursuing it in bigger ways. I hope to do sto- stadium events, uh, but and today working out, going to the gym, it's so easy for me. I, yesterday, I did a 63 mile or 100 meter bike uh, bike ride yesterday for five and a half hours on my bike. So for me, working out and building the physical, it's becoming less and less of a challenge. So I'm always looking for bigger challenges, something new to tackle, some new area of life to take to, take to the next level. Wow. And uh, from what you've just said, it's it's not just business, but it's everything about your life. So uh, it's developing your, your personal skills and uh, the body of your dreams. So obviously now, I'm guessing you have more freedom to pursue all of those dreams than you would have done in in your job in insurance, right? Oh yeah, gosh, I I actually have built my business. Now the thing is, as I if I share this statement, it it I, I'm 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 he, I hesitate to share this statement, but I've built my business. It, it's taken me, gosh, it, I left my career in insurance January 2008, so it's been 10 years. But 10 years later, by the way, the first year of my business, I worked 14 hours a day, seven days a week for the first nine months without taking a single day off, which was terrible. Uh, And not to mention the fact that it was financially miserable. But today I have a business that quite frankly, I know what my minimum amount of income is that my business needs to generate each month. And I now generate that income with two meetings per month, one 90-minute meeting in the morning on Wednesday mornings and one 90-minute meeting on Wednesday evenings. And I literally can take every uh, Wednesday afternoon completely off, which I do. I take that every Wednesday. I go out to lunch uh, for hours with my wife every week. That's a standing lunch date. And then if I want to, I could take every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday off. But I don't because I love what I do and and there's other things I like to do. But yeah, I have a lot more free time. You could say that. That's fantastic. Wow. I, I love that. That Wednesday lunch day with your wife that goes on for hours and hours and hours. So I guess you place great importance not only on, on balancing and maintaining your business interests, but also your, your family life and, and your health as well. Yeah. In fact, it, it used to be that I saw my business as the primary focus and primary goal of how I define what success is for myself because I felt like my number one priority in life is to make sure that financially I'm providing for my family. But the reality is, is for the first several years of my business, it was all focused on providing for them financially. But here I was never there emotionally. I, I you know, there wasn't a lot of quality time. I, I just I just worked and worked and worked. Now the thing is, is I worked hard and I I I became extremely successful in my business, and it became somewhat of an envy of a lot of people around me. But the reality is, is my personal life was not great. Now, thankfully, my marriage was wonderful, but my my parenting, my relationship with my kids was suffering greatly, and my physical body was absolutely out of control. Uh, so much so that in January 2009, after my first year of doing business, I ended up in the hospital and almost died. 
uh, I had gotten to the place where I weighed nearly 300 pounds. I, I weighed 272 pounds when I was in the hospital. Uh, today, I weigh 192 and I'm on my way down to 180. But yeah, so the reality is, is that um, it, it, it is extremely important to me. Today, my business is no longer my primary focus. In fact, my primary focus is this, is I want to, my, what's most important to me is I want my physical body to be in excellent health. And number two, I want to be an excellent husband. And number three, I want to be an excellent father. And number four, if I'm, I think I'm still keeping the numbers right, I want to be an excellent friend to and and serve all of those people around me. And I want to live, I want to do the things I feel most called to do in this world. And it's, I actually now see my business as the, I see my business as a means of serving all of those other things in my life, but all of those other things are way more important than my business. That's good. So, um, we've already had a look back at some of your challenges and how you've got to where you are today. Uh, but of course there's, there's always something else to do. There's always something to uh, aspire to, uh, and of course to, to stay inspired about. So, have you got any cool projects that you're looking forward to working on? Uh, perhaps even something you haven't told anyone about yet, something you'd really like to do in the future. So Mike, that, that's the problem with me is that I tend to share everything. So I, I, I can't think of anything that I've thought to myself that I haven't actually talked to somebody about, whether it be my wife or my mastermind group. But quite frankly, there's very little that goes through my mind that I haven't actually put out in an audio podcast, a Facebook live stream or a vlog on YouTube. Uh, so I, th- some of the some of the cool things that I, I'm working on is I'm working towards the goal of uh, actually doing stadium events. I actually want to do Tony Robbins style stadium events where anywhere between 10,000 to 50,000 people at a time actually come to events that I host so that their lives will be radically transformed as a result of the information that they receive at these events, the insights, the, the motivation, the education that they get there. So stadium events is one big thing. Uh, another cool dream of mine, and I actually spoke at your conference, New Media Europe, and shared this in my opening keynote, but one of my goals is to be on the front cover of Men's Fitness Magazine with a totally ripped body. So uh, that's going to happen one day. And then another another cool thing that, and, and it just it seems materialistic, and it probably is, but um, I, I will only be able to achieve this if I've added so much value to people's lives that they just consistently throw certificates of appreciation at me, which by the way, certificates of appreciation is what I call money. Um, but just one crazy goal that I have is I, I, I think I'd like to build a, a castle, my own castle on the South Island of New Zealand. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. So how do you, how do you keep a track of these, these cool dreams and these visions? Do you have any, are you, are you a visual person or maybe I'm guessing you're an auditory kind of person? So do you keep any vision boards or anything, anything practical that you do to, to keep a tab on these really cool projects you want to work on? So I was doing a I was doing a one on one mentoring session. I have this package uh, where somebody can pay seven thousand five hundred dollars and they come to my studio and spend an entire eight hour day of mentoring with me. And so I had this client. His name's Chris Nelson, and he and he comes and spends this day. And we go out to lunch together. So we're we're driving to lunch, and I'm driving my wife's Honda Pilot because I don't own my own car. 
my, you know, my kids took the car that I used to have. And even that was a 2003 Toyota Avalon. So I'm, I'm just not a car guy, right? I work from home. Why do I need a car? And in this conversation, I'm saying, you know, I've, I'm at the place now where I, you know, I can afford to go out and get a new car. But quite frankly, if Stephanie's out and the kids have the car, the other car, I just pick up an Uber and just go wherever I need to go. It, 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 I'm fine with that. He goes, really? So you don't have a dream car? And it was the first time I'm like, huh, dream car. I said, okay, there are two cars that I think would be really cool to own. I guess one would be a Tesla. That would be cool. But that just seems so incredibly impractical to me. I mean, the amount of cost right now uh, for a Tesla is just so high. And the amount of time that I would use that car is so low that I probably would do more damage to the lack of use of that car and its battery and all that other stuff that it just, that just seems impractical. I said, but I guess if I have a dream car, I do have a dream car and, and it's going to sound crazy, but my dream car would be a, uh, um, early seventies Volkswagen Beetle bug. And, uh, he said, really, why? I said, I don't know. I just, I've always been nostalgic for these early, uh, Volkswagen Beetles. Anytime I ever saw one on the side of the road for sale, I'd always stop and look at it, you know, but they've all kind of been, you know, decrepit and falling apart. So, you know, if I had one, I would want one that is like in really good, very, almost like new restored condition. I would want one that with a great engine and all this other stuff. And, and I said, so yeah, I, he goes, have you ever looked and seen how much they cost? And I said, yeah, they're somewhere between 7,000 to 12 or $13,000 fully restored. It was interesting. And then the conversation moved on to some other things, right? So about a week and a half later, after he was here, I get this package in the mail and it's this little die cast car. It is a, it, it is a uh, 1973 Volkswagen Beetle Bug. It is a, it, it's a metal die cast car. The, the doors open, the bonnet in the front opens. And if you turn it upside down, it is, it is a one twenty fourth scale of the actual car. And so, uh, he, he bought this for me and he put a little note in the card and he says, Cliff, thank you so much for the day that we spent together and your investment in me and helping my dreams come true. I hope you enjoy this gift and it's that it gets you one step closer to realizing your dream. And I, and I guess I didn't even think about that as, as my car was my dream. And, and the funny thing is, is I had just like, I had just earned in one day, in one day, Chris Nelson paid me the amount of money that it would cost to just go out and buy that car. So this car, this little metal toy, which by the way, I'm holding it in my hands. It's just sitting here on my desk every single day. And as a result of it sitting on my desk, I find myself asking, wonder what life would be like if I actually owned a 1970s Volkswagen Beetle. And so that got me to go start searching, you know, is, are there any available within the, you know, a 50 to hundred mile radius of my home? Next thing you know, I find one, I find a couple of listings on Facebook uh, and their marketplace on my phone. And then I found Abigail. Now, Abigail is the name of my car that sits in the draw in, in my parking area in, in my garage. And what happened was I, I found this 1974 Volkswagen Beetle that is a beautiful, gorgeous canary yellow, super high gloss paint job, fully restored 
uh, Volkswagen Beetle. By the way, the engine is the original engine in the car with only 1,500 miles on it. And it note, the odometer did not turn over. So this car has been sitting. Somebody bought it, fully restored it, and then turned it into a show car. It came from Texas. It was available. It was on for sale for $9,500. I like, oh my gosh, I have to have this. And, and I never even would have thought about it if this car wasn't sitting here on my desk every day. But because it was sitting on my desk, I was on the lookout. It, it kind of awoken that dream inside of me. And then next thing you know, I'm over at the car dealership picking up this car and and now it sits in my car or in my garage and I I love it. I drive it all the time. It is it is the best running Volkswagen Beetle I've ever seen and I I'm I literally have my dream car parked inside of my dream home and I live the dream. Every time I get in it and it's called Abigail because Abigail if you look up the meanings of names, Abigail stands for the father's joy. And so I'm a, I'm a believing kind of guy. You know, I'm one of those Christian dudes. So every time I get inside of my car, I feel the father's joy. I feel like God is just smiling because he's like, see, I want to give you great gifts. I love that. I love I love your your passion and the, and the story of how that came to be uh, is is just stunning. So thinking thinking about that and thinking particularly uh, now about your your passion for audio because uh, as as far back as I can remember, uh, certainly in my experience of you, Cliff, you've been an audio guy. You've been about getting good sounding audio uh, and, and making the best sound that you can. So I'm imagining this must have gone back to your childhood that you must have had an experience with audio at some point. Maybe it was cassette tapes, maybe it was vinyl, uh, maybe it was something else, some kind of toy or contraption or, or something completely different, maybe just being out in nature. Curious to hear what it is for you, that moment in your childhood where you heard something happening with audio and, and it just made you think, this is something I want to pursue in life. What was that for you? Become a great audio producer. Learn the secrets of creating great sounding audio. Go to mrc.fm slash learn. It, it goes way back. I have so many connections to audio as a child. I remember my very first little tiny record player, one of those little uh, 45 RPM record players. And I used to play the little Peter Pan story album and listen to it, read to me this story over and over again as I was, you know, what it was, it would take, play a tone every time you're supposed to turn the page. I remember that. I remember the first time I had a cassette deck and I, I, of course I loved listening to music on cassettes, but not only do I remember that, but I remember the first time I had one where I could press the little buttons, the two buttons together and I could record, I could actually record my own voice and I found that if I uh, took up a wadded piece of paper and stuck it into the, one of the holes on one of these cassettes, I, I figured I could actually record onto cassettes because I didn't have any blank ones, but I learned that I could do this. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I'm recording over all my dad's, you know, really, you know, his Neil Young and all this other stuff. But I would record my own little messages. And my favorite uh, there, there are two memories that really stick out to me as a kid. Number one, I remember the first time I heard my own voice on the radio. So in the radio stations, they would have those call-ins. You, you could actually call in and request a song. And when you called in, 
they would actually answer the phone and you would talk to the DJ. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm talking to a celebrity. And I remember uh, them asking me, so what song do you want to say? Yeah, I want to play this song and I want to dedicate it to so-and-so. And it was always some girl that I had a crush on or whatever. But they would. Re- it was always tape delayed. So what happened is you'd wait about 15 minutes and then you listen, you're listening to the radio and then you hear your own voice and that conversation that you had. And it's like, oh my gosh, my voice is on the radio. And people at the school the next day, oh my gosh, I heard you on the radio last night. And I'm like, yeah, that was me. It's so cool. And then the other the other thing, uh, do you see how lit up I get about hearing my voice out into the world? So, so here's the other one. And I sh- probably shouldn't say this, but maybe the statute of limitations are, are, are over now. But when I was little, my, I was probably seven or eight years old at this time. My mom had purchased a CB radio and it was one, it was called a base station. So it wasn't one you put in your car, but it was a base station, realistic, handy, you know, TR something 20. I can't remember what it was, but it was a CB radio. And I used to get on the CB and I would talk to the truckers that were going by on the expressway. But there was also, I mean, this is in the late 70s, early 80s, probably very early 80s. And there there was this movement of other people, like young adults and stuff like that. They also had CB radios. And we would talk to each other. And I had my own very illegal radio show. And I would host it every Tuesday night on channel, I think it was on channel three. And I would take over channel three on the Citizens Band radio and completely jam up that signal for an entire 90 minutes every Tuesday night. That's fantastic. I love that. That's amazing. Um, so, yeah, going back to the um, being on radio, calling into radio, radio request shows and, and hearing your voice back on the radio uh, to, to getting a, a transmitter. Actually, that reminds me of a similar thing. FM tra- tiny little micro FM transmitters were available in the UK uh, back in my childhood. Again, illegal to use, but on sale. <laughs> like also, you could, you could broadcast down your street a little radio station, and uh, that is just so so cool. Um, so some really cool experiences with audio. I I had no doubt, Cliff, that you'd have some really good stories. So that gets me to thinking then to ask you this question. Obviously, uh, you grew up on radio and being on the radio, and like you say. Back then, it was a big thing, a big deal, because everyone was listening to the radio. I also like the fact that you were you were recording podcasts on tapes and kind of hacking about with audio gear to get it to record even before podcasting was a thing. Um, so let's let's talk about music um, because obviously you, you went on the radio, requested music. So I'm interested, and I've heard uh, your wife Stephanie talk about this before, being a bit of an Ed Sheeran fan. But what music really gets Cliff Ravenscraft in the zone? Do you ever do you play music when you're working, or do you like to keep things nice and quiet and focused. Um, how, how do you work with music? And give us some of your, your favorite tracks and artists. I'm curious to ask you that. Well, if I'm working, I actually learned, I discovered from a study published by this company called Focus at Will, which you can find at focusatwill.com. But I found that when you're working, you should not listen to music that you like because you actually are distracted by it because you actually like the song and and you'll find you subconsciously are humming along to it, singing along with it. It's actually uh, distracting you from the work that you're doing. Uh, but Focus at Will has, it, it's, it's actually using neuroscience and, and what they've learned about how the brain works. 
and they've created music tracks that you can listen to while you're work that will hypnotize your, I can't remember if it's the, whatever part of the back of your brain that um, does the fight or flight instinct. So basically it, it, it's always, you're, when you're looking, like for example, uh, one of the things that I've learned, of course I still don't do this. If you have, if you have an office, you want to face, you want your desk to face that when you're working on your computer, the, the, the door to your office should be visibly visible in front of you. Otherwise, and my desk is not like this. So right now um, I'm actually facing my computer. I'm talking into my microphone, but the door into my office is behind my back, which means that at any moment in time, any of my children could slowly open the door without making a sound. They could tiptoe right up behind me and then like, scare me out of nowhere, right? So as a result of that, um, your our unconscious, our, our subconscious mind is consistently always scanning the periphery. So therefore, we're consistently distracted by the fact that there's potential danger from a door that people could break into behind us. And, and what happens is uh, focus at will actually has music that is designed to hypnotize just that part of the brain and it will completely take you, it'll completely shut down the fact that anything behind you could happen. And I, it, it is set up to where you, you could do it for any amount of time, but you could set it for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 90 minutes. But I put this thing on for 90 minutes. And at the end of whatever time you set, it'll play this music for the amount of time and then it dings and it'll stop the music. And I will tell you, Mike, there are times when I can set this thing for 90 minutes and start working with this music just playing in the background and the, th- the 90 minutes will be up and it'll ding. And I swear I'd just been working for about three minutes. That's it. But I had just worked for 90 minutes. And not only that, but during that 90 minutes, I just did more in those 90 minutes than I would normally do in an eight-hour workday. I need to look into that. Focus at will. Is it a paid subscription? How does that work? It is. It is a, it is a paid subscription. By the way, if anybody's interested, mindsetanswerman.com slash focus at will is my affiliate link. I get a commission if you end up using it. But even if you don't use my affiliate link uh, at mindsetanswerman.com slash focus at will, uh, you just go to focus at will.com. And, and it's a, trust me, I love it. I, I swear by I, you. So when I work, I listen to uh, matter of fact, my favorite channels are there is ambient medium intensity. There is Baroque piano medium intensity. There is cinematic medium intensity. And then there is classical medium intensity. Those are the four channels that I listen to when I work. That's brilliant. Okay. So focus at will, uh, when you're, um, when you're working, but what about when, uh, when Cliff is working out or when you're in your 1974 VW Beetle, what are you, what are you playing at high volume then? So you get this. I actually have a playlist inside of Apple music called Abigail. So it's my Abigail playlist and it's all, it's, it's got like, it's mostly because it's a, my car's a nostalgia thing. I have built a playlist that brings me back to when I was a kid. So it's, it's late seventies, early eighties music. Uh, so I have like born to run by born, uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, feel like making love by bad company, the Joker by Steve Miller band come sail away by sticks. 
all right now by free. Just what I need. The cars, cold as ice, foreigner, blue oyster cult, Kansas, Boston, Lou Reed, Cole and the gang, Paul McCartney and the wings. Uh, just th- th- late. All right. I'm, I'm with you. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, so it, it's a, it's a late seven, it's an early seventies car, but I grew up in the, you know, w- when I was really listening to music, like all day, every day was the late seventies, early eighties. And so when I get into Abigail, I'm taken back to my my childhood. And so that's the playlist that I listen to. That's amazing. And do you believe that, uh, well, obviously this is, this is a truth, but music has that ability to transport you back to a moment in time, right? You know, I found that it's not just music that, but it's actually audio in any form. It's, it's actually not just music. It is actually audio. So, and, and what is audio? Audio is nothing more than, uh, vibrations of sound, right? So, so, and here's why I know that. So you, you and I, there, there are certain songs as, as soon as a song starts playing, you're transported immediately right back to a point like the first time, or at least a, a, maybe not the first time you heard the song, but there, when you were in a high emotional state, whether it was a, a great emotional state or maybe a really terrible, but we hear a song and it transports us to the past, Right. So the the interesting thing, I listen to a lot of audiobooks now, and I listen to a lot of podcasts now. And what I have learned is I, sometimes I'll go back and I'll I'll listen to an audiobook again. And when I listen to it, like for example, I listen to I, I I probably shouldn't tell people this, but I am I'm like the biggest Twilight fan in our entire household. So uh, by Stephanie Myers, I listened to the entire audiobooks of twi- the Twilight Saga. And I listened to them while I was out walking because back in the day, I was, you know, to lose weight, I was just walking 10,000 steps or five miles a day. And so I would go and walk in different places and stuff. And when I went back and re-listened a couple years later, to the Twilight Saga uh, books in audio form, as I'm listening to them, I'm actually remembering exactly what street corner I was on the first time I heard that phrase. No, you're absolutely right. And you just, as you were telling me that story about audiobooks, I was remembering on your recommendation when I started listening to and completed The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Um, I remember exactly where I was. I was walking from Manchester City Centre in the UK to Manchester International Airport. It was an eight or nine mile walk and I completed the audiobook in that walk. So, And, and for me, I listened to The Big Leap while I was at Disneyland in California, because I was there by myself after podcast movement. And I'm like, hey, I'm in Anaheim. I've never been to Disneyland. I'm going to go there. I'm by myself in this park all the day. I might as well do something worthwhile to to keep my mind busy. So that's when I listened to the audiobook of The Big Leap. And the and I can tell you the the very moment that changed, like that book radically changed my life, as you know. And I can tell you exactly what, what intersection I was on because I had actually left the park that day and I was, it was the, th- I think it was like seven blocks from the entrance of, or, or the exit, I guess, of Disneyland and my hotel. And I know exactly what block, what intersection I was walking through that I had my quote unquote big breakthrough of my mindset. That's cool. So yeah. Wow. That's, um, 
That's interesting information because, yeah, I, I was thinking along music and, and song-related lines, but you're right, just vibrations of audio, uh, whatever it is, whether it's a podcast or an audio book, uh, providing, like you say, you're in a high or potentially low emotional state, one or the other, um, you're, you're likely to, to go right back there. So, wow. Cool. Okay. You, yeah. you know why I think that is, Mike? I think it has to do with the fact that when, we're, when we are listening to audio, we're at, I'm sorry, and when, specifically when we're actively, actively listening. So our, actually our concentration and our focus is actually on what we're hearing. What happens is we're still taking in other forms of information. So we're taking in the visual, we're taking in smell, we're still taking in the physical, the things that we feel. But but the focus is on the audio. And so what happens is I think that it, it's called neuro associations. So whatever is unique, it all gets associated and bundled together. And so matter of fact, it, when it comes to that song or it comes to that piece of vibrating audio, when it's repeated over again, when you play that song back or you hear that phrase from an audio book again and it, and, it, and it peaks you, you could close your eyes and whatever you smelled when you were listening to it the first time, you can smell it again. Whatever you, you, even though your eyes are closed, whatever you were seeing at that moment, you can see it again. And whatever you were feeling at that time, you will feel it again. And it's all because of neuro associations. Like Good science behind that um, that information. So let's uh, focus now. Um, we've already covered... Uh, Lots of interesting information. So uh, from life advice to challenging projects, cool things you're looking forward to, memories of audio from your childhood, and even off into a wonderful audio tangent about um, music and audio and and the power behind that. Um, But I would like to delve into um, Adobe Audition for a little bit. It's the 25th birthday that we're celebrating this year of that software. I can hardly believe it's been that long. And I'm curious, Cliff, um, as a user of Audition, uh, not only to edit the, the show you currently put out there, the Cliff Ravenscraft show, but many, many thousands of podcast episodes over the year. Uh, You will have played with many of the different features in Audition. So which feature is your personal favorite? You'd be shocked to learn how little of the features I actually have ever touched or used. However, I do have my favorite and it is the multi-band compressor. And, and, And personally, I also love the actual hard limiter as well inside of Adobe Audition. So it, it's a combination of the bo- of both of those. But what I love about the multi-band compressor, and especially they have like a radio voice, or no, it's called broadcast is the preset. And then I go in and I pump up the, I, I turn band one up a little bit, just give me a little bit more bass. But the thing is, is, you know, it's, it's that, that, that little kid that wants to sound like I did. You know, I want to have that voice like you're a radio guy. And so, so I go in and everything, if I, I've put out podcasts, like I've done over 3,700 podcast episodes and there might be about 20 or 30 that I didn't run the multi-band processor on. And I consider, I consider that I would call that flat. I sound flat. I sound normal. But man, I run the multi-band processor and some people don't like it. It's like, listen, that's just way too basic. It's like, listen, I don't care if you don't like it. I like it. And I love the way it makes me sound. It sounds like I'm that big, huge boy, you know, that boisterous radio DJ sound. 
And it's not over the top either. I mean, I, I listen to your show on a regular basis and it's, it's not over the top. It's not making your, your earbuds like, you know, vibrate or giving you a headache. It's just like you say, giving you a boost and making your, your voice sound good. So it's, um, yeah, it's a brilliant feature. And I, I love the fact that you get the, the kind of real time display as you're auditioning. And like you say, you can move different bands. So I think the one, two, three, four bands and uh, I think it's the blue bass band on the left hand side that you, you kind of, you notch that up a little bit do you <laughs> I, yeah i do and then i do the brick wall limiter i i limited that to negative 1.5 and sometimes i can't remember if the brick wall limiter actually keeps it from any peaking whatsoever and so just in case and i i happen to know what your next question is is do i have any amazing workflows uh, so if i if you don't mind me just jump right into that i I do have um, the effects rack. I, I think it was 3.0 that they came out with the version 3.0 that came out with the effects rack. And ever since they came out with the effects rack, I had my multiband compressor thrown into the effects rack with my, my own personalized preset, which ba- was basically the broadcast setting pumped up uh, base number one brick wall limit to negative 1.5. And then just in case I also throw right underneath it in the effects rack, the hard limiter with negative 1.5 dB, uh, like super hard limit. And then, and I, and I save that as a preset and it's called Cliff's secret sauce. And I run the secret sauce over every piece of audio that I do. Wow. I I think anyone listening to this podcast is going to need to replay that clip a few times because you've just given away your secret sauce. (laughs) That's all right. I've I've given it away a number of places over the years, but yeah, that that's the secret sauce that, that makes my sound, my sound sound the way it does. Excellent. So we've covered a favorite feature, uh, amazing workflows and time-saving shortcuts as well. Uh, now, Again, this this feels like a, a really interesting question to ask you. Your go-to resources and audio gear, like we're talking mics, headphones, mixing boards and stuff like that when creating audio, as the guy who has coached tens of thousands of people to podcast and also has a uh, very popular and well-known podcast equipment package, which I, I believe if you type podcast equipment into into Google, you're, you're one of the top results there. Um, so it feels kind of strange asking you, what are your go-to resources and gear? But if you were to summarize that uh, for for us or maybe bring us right up to date with what you're using or what you're you're hot on using now for audio what would that be all right so number one my microphone of choice and it's just uh, personal preference i i love the heil pr40 microphone absolutely hands down i i i wouldn't want to use any other microphone other than the heil pr40 i use a mackie mixer it doesn't matter to me which version of the mackie mixer you use i currently use a vlz40 uh vlz40 uh, I can't even remember now, 402 VLZ4. So I love Mackie mixers. They're really sturdy, super... I mean, literally can drive over one with the car and probably not damage it. Um, and then I record everything into a digital audio recorder. And my the thing is, they don't make them anymore, but it, my preference on digital audio recorders is the Roland R-05 recorder. And yes, I know it's not a multi-track recorder. And, you know, I, I record, believe it or not, I record all of my interviews into one single stereo uh, recording of audio, including my voice. And people are like, well, you can't, you can't go in and, and separately edit your guest from your audio and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I understand that. But what I do is I try to make sure that the audio is right, perfect the first time. 
before I hit the record button. And and anyway, it 3,700 podcast episodes later, I've not regretted it. So I'm good with it. It does the job. That's good. Uh, cool. So um, let's wrap up. Lots of great information in this show. Not only uh, your life advice, uh, the projects you've worked on and hope to work on in the future, uh, some of your childhood audio memories and favorite features and workflows, of course, in Adobe Audition, including... I'll say it again, Cliff's secret sauce. Uh, But now let's wrap up, Cliff, uh, with a piece of advice for a young and aspiring person, maybe getting into this crazy world of audio or indeed online content creation and developing an online business that can help them to live the life of their dreams. Um, What advice would you give to someone who's young and they're listening to you now and they're thinking, yep, I want to follow this guy. This is what I want to do. Uh, How would you sort of give them some advice uh, to help them live their best life? Well, the the advice that I would give you is this. Life is too short to live someone else's dream. So only live yours. And what I mean by that is, for me, I was a guy who seemingly enjoyed life. I had a very lucrative career as an insurance agent. Uh, I worked there for 12 years. I was at the top of my game. I was a top-ranked insurance agent. I had financial income like you would not believe, financial security, job security, all of that stuff. My mom and dad owned the insurance agency and it was in the family since 1937. So job security was there. I had everything you could possibly dream of when it comes to a career that was cushy, comfortable, all of that stuff. However, when I started podcasting, I never realized just how much I had basically walked away from any dreams of what I wanted to do. And I ended up doing what was quote unquote responsible. You know, I got married, I started having children and all this other stuff. And and then I'm invited into the family business and, and I get to the place where I'm spending all my time every day of my life selling insurance, which was never a dream of mine. I guarantee you, if you ever asked me as a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? It wasn't an insurance salesman. Uh, but remember, I mean, I, I can tell you right now as, as, as successful as I was as an insurance agent, and I, I was at the top of my game. Remember when Mike asked me the question, tell me your memories of, uh, from your childhood when it comes to audio. Remember the day that I, you know, was putting little tines of paper wad and, and recording my own voice and my own little audio programs onto cassette tapes. And I was broadcast. Remember the passion that I tell you those stories and that just makes me come alive. It's me communicating to the world and sharing what's on my heart and what's on. That's the real dream. That's what I really. And and so what happened was I started a podcast and, and I started to see the influence and impact it was having in the world. And by the way, my first podcast was about the TV show Lost. (laughs) And we had built an audience of thousands of people around the world. And people are like, wow, tell us more about this. And people wanted to hear me. And I'm like, I was entertaining, educating, encouraging, and inspiring people with audio content, with my voice. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I began to ask myself, I wonder what life would be like if I could do that for a living instead of selling insurance. And I felt guilty ashamed of asking myself that question. What a ridiculous and selfish thing to even think about. 
but the drink that wouldn't go away. It continued to grow. It continued to fester until one day I began to start to despise my career as an insurance agent. I be it used it, it. It was something before I started podcasting. I thought I loved it. It's like I felt I felt like I found the easy path in life until I discovered what my until that dream inside of me of being able to create audio and 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 have my voice impact people's lives. Wow, that awoke a dream inside of me to where nothing else would do. And I got to the place where eventually it's like, listen, life is too short to live my parents' dream. It's it's time for me to get out and live my own. And so I encourage people to go out and live their own dream. Life is too short to live someone else's dream. And that's a brilliant place uh, to end this show. So uh, it's bring. Great chatting to you, Cliff. Great to have you on. Um, really, really good episode. And I'm sure uh, many people want to go back and listen to this again. But in case uh, somebody would like to go and check you out online and find out more about what you do uh, and your podcast and everything else, where's the best place to go to to find you? Well, obviously, anybody who's hearing my voice right now, they're they're familiar with podcasts. My show is called The Cliff Ravenscraft Show. It's in your favorite podcast directory. So check it out. Cliff, Just do a search for Cliff Ravenscraft. Also, you can find me on the web, cliffravenscraft.com. But I mostly want to encourage people to check out the conference that I'm uh, hosting called Free the Dream. And you can find out more information at freethedream.live. Perfect. Cliff, thank you for joining me. Mike, thank you so much for the opportunity, my friend. It's always a blessing. If you want to grab the exact Adobe Audition template I use, head over to mrc.fm slash presets. That's mrc.fm slash presets, and you can grab my Adobe Audition multi-track template there. Hey, it's Mike back again, and I just wanted to let you know, as a podcast listener, to go and grab your free exclusive audio download from us here at Music Radio Creative. Just head over to mrc.fm forward slash play. 